everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I am your host, Amy Peck. And today we have with us Clay Smith, who actually wears two hats. He is uh, the CEO of uh, Evolve, which is a software, and he's also the COO of our friends at Applied Software. Welcome, Clay. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me. So usually we we kind of go back to the origin story, but because you've got kind of, you know, two pretty heavy duty responsibilities, can you share with us kind of what your day-to-day is and, and you know, how you work with uh, with both sort of the company and the, the software side? Yeah, so it's um, uh, both sides are, are growing rapidly. And so uh, it's uh, demanding for sure, but uh, on the applied software side, um, you know, day to day, I help manage that growth. Uh, I am involved in try to be involved in every one of our panel interviews, which is uh, what we do kind of the last step toward uh, hiring people. And so we are, have hired a, a good number of people over the last uh, several years. But this past year, it's it's been kind of remarkable. And so I try to be involved in all of those meetings. Um, I um uh, lead the team as we continue to to get bigger and and serve more clients, and so that takes up um, uh, these days with what's happened on the evolve side. It really is not as much as it used to be. So I, I probably spend seventy percent of my time leading evolve MEP on the software side because we've seen great growth there and have been hiring uh, lots more dev staff as we're as we're uh, broadening the the product uh, uh, into the cloud and all those things, and so. Spend a lot more time there than I think on the applied side, but uh, try to do both. And so we have a great team on both sides. And so that allows me to kind of jump back and forth and and not have to, you know, micromanage for sure. Excellent. Excellent. And so, you know, what really drew you to this industry? I mean, did you always kind of have a passion either for software or for, you know, kind of architecture, engineering and construction? Like, you know, what was that path that led you to where you are today? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, and um, you know I don't know that I've ever really put all the pieces together until I start thinking about it. But I, I grew up um, in the construction materials business. Uh, my dad owned several companies, and I worked in those companies from as far back as I can remember. Um, and so I was I was going to school. I was uh, playing some sport or another, and I was working in my dad's businesses, and so. Um, that uh, is probably the genesis of my interest in construction and the construction materials and and all of that. And then uh, went away to school uh, to West Point and uh, played football there and then graduated and flew helicopters in the Army for a number of years. And then I came back uh, to Atlanta and uh, got involved in construction again or construction materials. And so that's been most of my um, uh, career, at, you know, different forms and functions. But um, in doing that, uh, ran into need the need for software um, and built uh, or had built or, or had uh, put together several different uh, software solutions, uh, went to Southwire eventually, which was a big wire and cable manufacturer and found a piece of software that would help uh, their clients uh, build what they needed and spec uh, their materials. And so uh, did that, and then that eventually led me to Applied Software. And at Applied Software, I had that electrical background. And so 
knew there was a big need there. And so that's what kind of started uh, Evolve MEP all the way back when. And it's interesting because I, I, I did not know that you had a military background, but they, I, I do seem to come across a lot of people with military background in this industry. Do you think that there's a correlation and that some of the skills that you would apply to the military apply in this in the industry? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, the, you know, the the there's a lot of misperceptions I think about military people. You know, that from the movies that everybody's rigid and all that, but in reality, um, it really taught me, and I think it teaches a lot of people to deal with chaos. That uh, you, you kind of figure out how to operate in very demanding uh, operational tempos, and that's the same with construction. And so I think the two kind of go together. You know, you you kind of can, you see how you maintain your focus and try to be calm in the midst of absolute chaos. And that's, that's what, that's what construction is. And so <laughs> I, I think the two do go together and maybe uh, MEP in particular. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Anyone who's been on a construction site understands it is indeed chaotic. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about, um, you know, the work that you're doing, the customers with whom you're working, you know, are you seeing customers really adopt technology on sort of an end-to-end basis? Or do you see them kind of just dipping in their big toe, solving sort of one problem at a time? And, you know, is that is that going to be an approach that becomes challenging in the future because there's so much tech coming at us now? So that's a that's a very insightful question, and I think it depends on the size of the firm. So there is a tendency, um, everybody is seeing all the cool products out there, and smaller to medium-sized companies are finally getting on board with some technology, but they tend to be dipping their toes. And, and I think that's, that's actually good. You know, you want them to start somewhere. Um, and to adopt any kind of technology or any kind of change, you need to find a section or a, a, a small area to focus and get success there and then let that grow. But once a, once a company gets over a certain size and they've got a bunch of those different pieces and parts, then they have to think more holistically about all of their technology and how it's all going to fit together. And so I think it's, it's just an evolution of the size of the company. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I think you know you touched on something which is the the interoperative interoperability of software, especially with legacy systems, that does get you know exponentially more challenging as as companies scale. Do you see some solutions? And I think we've had a couple of guests on who who are looking to solve for this, where they're actually kind of you know wiring together disparate systems. Are, are, are you finding that those tools are readily available or is it, is it one of the things that, that just sort of becomes part of this like next, next generation strategy? I think it's part of the next generation strategy. There, there are not a lot of fully modularized construction uh, uh, focused softwares. Uh, and when you do create them in modules, then that allows companies to build what they need uh, specifically for them inside a larger module that works with other modules. And so I think that's the next step. That's really kind of what we've been focused on with our Foresight cloud product line. Um, and I think it's a, there's a real need. And, and I don't mean to go into a commercial there, but uh, that's, we've seen. No, that. no, no, I think, it, no, I think, no, I think, because I think, I, I think it is important to kind of draw a line with the way that you're, you're looking at, 
you know, evolving the software. And you, know, you have mentioned, you know, the move to the cloud a couple of times. That's actually across really all industries, right? Companies are moving to the cloud or hybrid clouds in some instances. Uh, is there, are you coming across any reticence to moving to the cloud? Because I think people are still kind of confused about really what that's going to offer them. And then, and, and maybe there's a feeling that they're sort of losing control and they're used to these sort of, you know, our on-prem servers are, are kind of controlling all their, their data in a more granular way. I think people are getting more used to the cloud for sure. There's not the security issues that there used to be. Um, as a matter of fact, the cloud might be, uh, you know, more secure when you think about, you know, cyber, uh, uh, what do you call it, ransomware and all those kind of things that might be safer in the cloud. So I think we're past that. The the deal with construction, with particularly MEP construction, is that that design has to live on a desktop. There's There's not really a way to design quickly and efficiently in the cloud. And so you have to marry a, a desktop-based product with the cloud. And, and that's exactly what we're trying to do because it, it's just not feasible to design in the cloud, but all that information that you create can be leveraged in the cloud. So that's uh, I think that's the future. Do you think that, that with the advent of kind of 5G, real-time rendering, edge compute, that at some point we will be able to do kind of the heavy lifting in, in the cloud and be able to deliver sure. the, you know, kind of the end result or are we a decade away from that? Yeah, I, I don't know how long, I, I think that we absolutely will be there. Uh, and when we get there, I think that's gonna open up all kinds of new opportunities for people, the whole team, you know, everywhere from the architect to the, the guy who's actually putting up the material to collaborate in a way that they've never been able to collaborate before. When we get there, I, I couldn't tell you. Don't know. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to still try and pre predict the future a little bit, but we're going to take a little break and hear from okay. our sponsors. And we will be back with Clay in just a moment. Great. And we are back with Clay Smith of Applied Software. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, your evolution uh, and, and really how you're thinking about, uh, you know, software and optimization and, and the move to the cloud. But there's so much technology coming in, you know, immersive technology, in blockchain, in AI, you know, how do you see those, you know, these emerging technologies starting to, you know, have an impact, uh, you know, in, in, in our industry? Yeah, so um, I, I think there's huge potential with AI. And, and when I say AI, I guess I'm, I'm really talking about machine learning. Every time I say AI in front of my dev team, they roll their eyes and make fun of me. And so I'll, I'll use their term. Um, but um, I think one of the problems that we've had construction-wise, is we have not thought about enough, haven't thought enough about the way uh, good data gets into the system. And so there's been attempts at this, and I think that, you know, there's a, um, there's, there's, there's kind of this misperception that we have to, we have to record everything. We have to get all kinds of data, and then the, the machine will figure it out. And, and I don't think that has worked. And so I think we have to rethink the way we're capturing 
uh, and and capture the data that actually we can leverage and not try to capture too much because at the end of the day, there's a human that's manipulating that machine to get what we want. And if we don't create a reason, a, a compelling reason why we're going to use that to help them, we're never going to get good information. And if you can't get a good information, AI won't help you. And so uh, I think we're, we're getting closer and we're, we're figuring that out. I think people are starting to see what you can do with good data and how it can very much help you be more efficient. And so I, I think we're getting closer, but it's, again, comes down to a human issue, not really what, what the machine can do. Yeah, and you make a great point that, you know, we've kind of moved from, you know, big data to ma massive data, like it's not, it's right. it's not insignificant. And, and I, I think you're right, I think it's the, you know, the important thing is, is understanding what data points are relevant to what activity, um, because you're right, AI is not, and machine learning is, you know, as sort of a subset of AI, it, it's not a magic bullet. Right. But you also mentioned something else that I that I think is you know that it's troubling for a lot of workers. But I think you know you kind of answered the question I'm about to ask. But I'd like to go a little bit deeper. I think a lot of people are very nervous about automation, you know, AI, machine learning, um, and you know we can talk about also really what the nuances are there. But essentially, AI is sort of you know the overarching term. Machine learning is a subset of that, in the same way crypto is a subset of blockchain technology. Right. Um, but you know, it still takes a human to parse the output, to decide what data goes in. It takes humans to build the algorithms for the machine learning. So, you know, there there will always be, at least in the in the near very near future, and certainly in our lifetime, there's always going to be human input. But are you hearing that as as kind of a, a a fear factor, you know, with the workforce that they're you know concerned they're going to be replaced by software and automation, or or is it sort of intangible for, for them at this moment. So uh, I'm not. I think everybody has is so busy and has been so busy that they need help. They know they need help. And, you know, the, the uh, skilled labor shortage is real, and I think that's getting worse. And so everybody is looking for a way to get their work done. And so I'm not. On the contrary, I think it really is going to help construction because now you have a really cool story to tell kids in school. Like go to construction and take take technology with you and help it get better. I mean, it really is an exciting time that we could bring in a lot of kids that are on the cutting edge and help us move forward. So I, I think it's a really a, an opportunity rather than a big challenge. I'm glad that you say that because um, I'm also very, very bullish on, on how, you know, that but leveraging technology to kind of augment, you know, our human abilities. Um, as opposed to replacing us. And, and I'm also heartened to hear that a lot of the unions are bringing in, uh, like, for example, immersive technology for training yep. so that, you know, they're able to attract, you know, kind of that younger generation, but that's not, it's not fast. And so I think you're right. There's sort of this chasm now in the workforce. Um, are, are there some other ways that companies are, you know, kind of shoring that up for the moment, or it's really just everyone is working that much harder? Well, I think a lot of companies are just working that much harder, but the the ones that are leading the charge are figuring this out and they are using immersive technology to shorten the gap between the time a kid comes off the street to the time that they're ready to go out in the field. And so you can then take, you know, whereas before you might have had to to spend 
a year and a half, two years, however long, learning the trade in the field. Now you can kind of do that much quicker because you're able to show them things in a shop environment, for instance. So I was just talking earlier today about uh, a lot of companies have prefab shops and they're using a prefab shop just like you're talking about to not only say build this widget or build this assembly, but let's use some immersive technology to show you where on the job site this is going. So, to, so you can see there's a problem. You can't bend it this way because there's a problem there. And that is something that's never been available before. And so I think I think we can shorten the, the, the learning curve for sure. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I actually did some training uh, on welding um, in, in VR. And, and, you know, what we learned is that you do not want me on a job site welding anything. This is what we've learned, but this is a good thing, right? You get to, you get to sort of weed out what the right. skill sets are. Right. We all have our <laughs> so, strength. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's not mine. Um, so, you know, and then what are, what are some of the, just the trends in general that you're seeing, or, or, you know, you've, you've walked on a site and, and seen a particular technology or someone using, you know, robotics or, you know, some interesting technology where you're like, that's a great use case where you were wowed. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, the total robot stations have been out for a long time, but now you see, now you see them everywhere, right? They're, they're everywhere. They're used for layout all over the place. And I think that should tell us a lot, right? That was um, something that had a real use case. People could, quickly see their lives get better because of those things. And so I think there's been, you know, there's been the the smart helmets and the Google glasses and all of these things, um, even some some VR. But I think the where it really gets um, a quick adoption is when you can show, hey, this makes my life easier and it makes my life easier today. And so as more of those things come out, I, I think you'll see you know, fast adoption. It, it's difficult, though, as busy as companies are to bring out something that's too conceptual without a, a, a really strong, short-lived use case, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, there are times you you also like walk on a job site and you're just like, what are they doing? Like they're still on clipboards and and, you know, looking for pencils. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that I do find it interesting that there's it, it really runs the gamut between those who are adopting the technology. And there's sort of a another faction that's kind of like an it ain't it ain't, it ain't broke. Why fix it? But right. it, I think the pressures are really going to ratchet up in the next few years. Um, and I'd like to kind of turn to something that's just general news and, and may not be, you know, it's not super uh, you know applicable directly yet. But you know, we're in this huge hype cycle with meta and the metaverse and companies are like, you know, how do we use the metaverse? And really, to me, it's not about the metaverse. It's really about digital twin, but that is kind of a, let's say, a, you know, a part of what the metaverse will become. Do you, do you see some interesting use cases and, and how, how companies are leveraging digital twin in, in really kind of interesting ways? I mean, we've seen a few with smart cities and smart buildings, but are there some other, you know, use cases that, um, that are emerging? Uh, metaverse wise. Well, no. with any of it, because I think the metaverse is sort of the hype cycle that's that's right. hopefully forcing people to look at some of this technology. Right. So I think the digital twin makes so much sense. Um, I, I do think that it's going to, it's taken a while to really get some traction. Uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those things that once it gets to the tipping point and 
owners start saying that this is how you're going to deliver your work, then it, it may continue to struggle to some extent, but it makes total sense. When you think about the amount of money that goes into maintaining a building after it's built. Um, and so I think, you know, back to uh, uh, something you said a minute ago, in terms of some companies are still on clipboards. I think that the reason that they are is because companies are so busy, the skilled labor shortage is real, like I said earlier. And so those older uh, folks have the upper hand with management. You know, they're not going to be forced into too much if they don't, if they want to carry a clipboard, most companies are going to say, hey, carry the clipboard because we need you to keep working, right? So those folks are probably every day are getting closer and closer to retirement. So as they do, um, I think the only thing that can, uh, or let me just say that I think you'll see a vast adoption quickly uh, and digital twins will be part of that because companies have to capture all of that knowledge before they leave. And the only way to do that is technology. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, yeah. I think we're getting closer and closer to that tipping point where five years from now, we won't be having these conversations about why can't we get companies to change? It will be, Hey, here's the latest technology and it's gone crazy. And here's the next one. And it's gone crazy. So we'll see. That's my prediction. Well and I love what you just said about, you know, like we need to capture that knowledge because I think instead of saying, look, you know, you guys are dinosaurs, you need to retire, you know, there is an incredible amount of knowledge that can inform how we bring all of this, you know, digitization and software into the fold. And absolutely, I mean, there's, you know, PTC has Euphoria, uh, which is a, uh, an engine that kind of lives on top of Unity, uh, and, and they do a lot of work with Digital Twin, uh, especially in the manufacturing space, but certainly in, in construction. Uh, and they have a tool called, uh, you know, Capture, Euphoria Capture, and it, you can record what somebody does, but we still need them to wear the devices, right? right. We need them to wear a device sure. so that we can actually capture what they're doing. So there's a little bit of an uphill battle but again, I think if it is couched in a way, and maybe you tell me, you know, if it's couched in a way where it's like, you know, we value you as an employee and we want to evolve the next generation, but we need this technology interface. Right. Um, do you think it'll be a little bit more acceptable? I do. And I think there's a, there's a great opportunity for um, a lot of those older folks that do uh, need to retire because they're tired of going up and down a ladder or whatever. What if you could sit in your home office with some younger folks wearing devices in the field and coach from your office? I mean, it's a. I think it. I think it's a. It's a really strong idea. I also think that a lot of um, um, inspections on a job site could be done that way. You know, if a guy's in his office instead of getting in his truck and trying to drive to five different job sites during the day, what if he sat in his office? And they wore the devices on the on the uh, in the field and said, "Hey, what else do you want me to do? Run this test on this box, okay? That passed. Run this, okay? Good. I'm on to, you know, I might be able to see 15 of those instead of five. So yeah, I, I think yeah. there's a real opportunity, and I think there's a um, a career path for people that don't want to work, you know, every day, but could work several hours every day and still probably get a, a lot of benefit from doing that and stay involved, but can also play some golf or whatever they want to do, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, that technology is here now. I mean, you can do yep. that with 
HoloLens, you can do that with Magic Leap. And, you know, you could even, you can even do it, uh, you know, using, uh, you know, iPads or iPhones to a degree. So um, it's out there. I'd love to see more adoption of that as well. So let's, before we finish, let's take a little trip to the future. I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone, which is if you could project yourself, you know, 20, 25 years into the future, and you could bring with you, you know, any service or, or gadget that would just make you personally happy or make your life better, what would it be and what would it do? So that's an interesting question. And I think, um, you know, it may not take, I don't think it's going to take 25 years, but I'm really excited about um, the work that's being done uh, on DNA and customizing diets and medicine and all the things that I think are coming in terms of personal health. So I think that, you know, it won't be very long before they can say, hey, you're by your makeup, then you've going to have a bigger chance of getting X, Y, and Z. And so you need to supplement with this and that and the other. And uh, I think that's that's coming. And I think that's going to be a really uh, cool thing. Um, the uh, just, you know, we all are, are very same, very similar, but we all have a little bit different makeup. And I think we're going to get closer and closer to be able to design things that are made just for us, which is pretty cool. I love that. I love that. And I think, and I think you're right. I'm right there with you. I think, I think it's um, also an opportunity for us to just, you know, kind of take more control of our own health and wellness. Um, you know, we're seeing that with, with, uh, you know, our, our devices that we're wearing. Sure. That are yep. Yep. So I think, yeah, I think you're yep. right. I think in a couple of evolutions of that um, offer us a great opportunity to just take care of ourselves a little bit better. <laughs> yep. or, or something that says, oh, oh, you're stressed out. You need to you need to go sit down for a while or whatever, you know I mean? Yeah, I, I think there are some days where that would go off all the time. So I would just have to go, I'd have yeah. to go. Maybe golf. maybe as managers, we would have, uh, I could look at my watch and go, oh, I need to call so-and-so and tell her to to calm down or to take some time yeah. off or whatever. Yeah, that could be great. That could be great. I love it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Amy. I enjoyed it.